Most of our Bibles have these little section headings as you read through. They're in bold print. They're not actually written by one of the apostles, by the editors of the NIV or the ESV. And they tell us what's going on. They help us find an event that we might be looking for in the text. Have you ever looked at a set of those headings and thought, I don't know if I want to read that. Um, that sounds like a rough chapter. John chapter 18, where we find ourselves today, is one of those chapters. If you just scan the headings, that's where we are, John 18. You'll see some version of this. Betrayal, confrontation or accusation, denial, questioning, denial again, trial, rejection, that's a bad list. Not something that we might run to. As an episode, the whole chapter could be headed with betrayals. Jesus is betrayed by Judas. Jesus is betrayed by the Jewish leaders. He's betrayed by his closest companions. He's betrayed against justice by the Roman governor. He's betrayed by the crowds. And this is the stark reality of the moment that leads Jesus to the cross. Betrayals, betrayals. But these people, these particular actors on this, in this moment, they also represent all of humanity. They stand for themselves, but they also stand for humanity. These are the betrayals that we see today, that we also live out so those people in Jerusalem, they're simply acting like normal people. They're fallen humans. They're a rebellious crowd. And their actions are painfully predictable. They act according to nature. So let's just consider the, the pattern of these are representatives who stand for us in Jerusalem. We have, of course, Judas. At some point long prior to this moment, probably before he even met Jesus, he had turned to loving himself. He turned in. And then when he heard John the Baptist announce the Messiah, this is the Christ, and he saw Jesus exercising power, Judas saw an opportunity. So he ingratiated himself. He moved in. He got close to those around Jesus. He showed enthusiasm. He wants to be part of it. He'll do anything, yes. And then when Jesus, from that big group of disciples, he called the twelve out to be with him, and he named them apostles, Jesus saw in that crowd a soul turned in on itself. He saw it. Jesus knew what was in a man. He saw it. He saw Satan's posture. Huge crowd. And there he was. And he called him. That's the son of perdition. That's the one who will betray me. Judas, you, you come close to me. I think it was to keep the others from temptation that he gave Judas charge of the money bag. 
Yes, this fits you. You look over this. You look after this. So Jesus then wrote out the Messiah's adventure for those three years. He might even have had fun with it. Until he realized that Jesus was determined to die and that this was not the winning side. And Judas saw a new opportunity to make some money. To shake himself loose from the losing side. Join the winning side. When Satan entered into him that night, uh, he simply claimed what had already been yielded up to him. Had already been offered to him. Satan claimed. We ought to ponder what gives a person such a total absence of goodness. Such a total absence absence of a desire for right or for love, that he or she is willing to do anything for personal advantage. Why is that? Well, Judas, we read, he guides a detachment of soldiers and officers from the chief priests and the Jewish elders, and they come with lanterns, torches, weapons to this place where Jesus had often taught. Uh, often been with his disciples in the Mount of Olives. Jesus had taught in the temple all that week. This detachment of soldiers had heard him. They knew what he was about. He's wildly famous. They know what he teaches. None of these guys has ever heard Jesus indicate anything like an uprising. They've never seen him carry a weapon. They've never heard him whisper rebellion. They've never heard him make any indication that he would require weapons to deal with him. So in their coming at night, armed and dangerous, ready for a fight, they show a willing self-deceit about Jesus. These are people that are eager to listen to slander. They like it. They want slander. They're eager to believe lies about Jesus. Oh, he's suddenly become dangerous. He's suddenly going to raise an armed revolt. We'll go with that. And they're eager to act on a lie. So in full contrast to everything they've seen, everything they know about the man, they're willing to be deceived. And so we ought to wonder about that. What is it? What in a person, what in this crowd gives such a willingness to believe a lie about a good man? About someone they know is good and does good things and brings life. What is it in a person like us that's willing to believe a lie about someone we know? Or willing to believe a lie about God? just because someone said it. Then there are the dear friends of Jesus, his close companions. These brothers he has kept so close that he's taught, he's cared for, that he's filled with truth, that he's filled with love, that he's laughed with, and that he's just prayed for. They see something terrible unfolding there in the garden, there's a mob coming. There's torches. 
They see the betraying narcissist leading this group. They know his character. They thought well of their own courage. They believed it. Undoubtedly, they had believed they loved Jesus and cared for Jesus and they valued Jesus more than their own lives. They believed that. They had all said so. We'll die for you. And yet here in this moment, the the mob's coming. Jesus doesn't do what he should do. He has the power to knock people over with a word. And yet he gives himself up. Verse 11. They're ready. They're ready. Okay, Jesus, now's the time. Power. Verse 11. Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? It's at that point they forsook him and fled. Shall I not drink the cup? His friends, his flock, they ran for their lives. His friends. And so here we have to ask, how is it that a person can move from those high ideals? How can they move in a moment from knowledge of what they ought to do? Stand by him. They knew that was the right thing to do. How can they go in a second? And suddenly abandon him and look out for their own skins. Look out for number one. The moment moves on and then there's Peter in the courtyard still trying. He, how far did he run? We don't know. How, how far before he stopped and he, what am I doing? And he's still looking for a chance to make good on his claim. To make good on that confession. To live up to who he's tried to be. He knows Jesus is the truth. He's confessed it again and again. That Jesus is worth everything. He knows it. But the power is not in him. So three times, servants of the high priest approach him. Servants. These are servants. These aren't soldiers. Servants come to him and insinuate he's one of Jesus' friends. You're you're one of the disciples. And he does what many of us have done. When our connection to someone who is unpopular or disliked or has suddenly become unpopular and disliked, or maybe in that moment we realize that person is unpopular and disliked. We don't want the shame. That's not my friend. I don't, no, I don't know her. Why would you think I know her? Oh, really? I didn't know he thought that. I didn't know he would have said something like that. Well, now that I know that, no, I don't want anything to do with such a person. No, I'm with you. A denial of connection is a betrayal. And here in this moment, Peter speaks for each and every one of us. He stands in for us. You're not one of his disciples, are you? 
No, I'm not. No, I'm not. So what I'm saying is what Peter says in words, we have all said in actions. Every time we've acted in self-interest, every time we've made ourselves the king or the queen, we've prioritized our comfort or we've prioritized our popularity or we've prioritized what others think of us, even in just that moment, suddenly what others think of us becomes chiefly important. We've enacted Peter's words. When the way of Jesus seems uncomfortable, when loving what's unlovable will feel awkward, just don't want to feel awkward. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. When being in the presence of someone we dislike, just being in their presence, becomes a line we will not cross. I cannot be in the room with such a person. When we refuse to be in fellowship with someone who votes differently. I mean table fellowship. When we won't open a Bible with somebody who has once offended us, it might have been some years ago, but I, I will not study the Bible with that person. I will not eat at the same table with that person. We are answering silently but definitively. Probably we wouldn't put it together like this to ourselves. We're answering, you, you're not one of his disciples, are you? No, I'm not. Because, I mean, isn't that obvious? I'm not one of his disciples. Jesus, Jesus would spend three years with his betrayer. Jesus would lie on the ground next to his betrayer. Jesus would wash the feet of his betrayer. Jesus would eat his very last meal and hand bread to his betrayer. He would share a cup. He would sip from a cup with his betrayer. Obviously, I am not one of his disciples. Obviously, I would not do those things. No, no way. Oh, Peter speaks for us. Yes, he does. He speaks for me. Because he speaks that dark admission that all of us, when we look to ourselves for the power to do what's right, that's how we go. In a millisecond. We're not thinking about it. In a millisecond, without making a conscious decision, in a millisecond we see the consequences. In a, we feel the consequences. So without making a conscious choice, simply acting from self-protection, simply acting from the protection of the self, we betray holiness and act for self. We feel threatened. 
we feel unsafe, we feel a qualm, we feel a disquiet. But it happens so fast and so unconsciously that we're, we've already made it so that we're ready to defend it as right, even righteous. We'll make a quick argument. Our self-justification kicks in so fast we're already there defending our self-righteousness as truly goodness and right to keep away from such people, believing that it's right. And this is our human problem. This is why all these betrayers are on display at the moment of Jesus' trial. In answer to those questions earlier, it's the worship of self. That's what enables a person. It's, the wor it's total commitment to our own interests that makes a Judas immune to the truth. The truth can just wash over him, run past him, because his commitment is to himself. Fixation on the self and approval of others, that's what allows a mob to act in willful ignorance of what they know to be the truth about this person. Their eyes and ears have heard it, but they are fixated on themselves and getting the approval of that group. And it's a foundational love of self that leads Peter and leads me. It leads Peter and it leads me and it leads you to have high ideals and expectations, because we do. You wouldn't be sitting here if you didn't have high ideals and expectations for yourself. But adjust them in lightning quickness, in the moment, with the flexibility to protect our fragile egos. So as I'm saying this, please don't shield yourself from it. That, that's the lightning quickness. The way we do it is, oh yeah, oh he's talking about, I know exactly what he's talking about. That is your self-justification. Don't do that. Let it hit. The sober reality is we are among the constant betrayers. All of us. And I'm not standing apart from us as I'm saying that. We are among the constant betrayers. The gospel will fly past us if we deny that reality. Because here is where the gospel enters. Here is where. This is why Jesus has come. To reconcile us betrayers to God. To redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, his own special people, to come to those dead in trespasses and sins. All the children of disobedience. The gospel is on full display right here. Jesus could simply have walked away from the moment. He had done it before, right? Multiple times he walked right through mobs. Some ready to throw him over the edge of a cliff. Some they picked up stones to stone him, and yet he walked right through. He could walk out of this moment, but it's for the betrayers that he has come. 
This is why he came. Luke gives us this interesting detail that Peter's denied him, denied him. The third time he denies him, the predicted cock crows. Jesus looks at him and they lock eyes. For you, they lock eyes and then he turns back to the mockery and the beating. For you, betrayer, I go to this. He was well aware of the betrayal, but that is why he came. And then when he's brought before Pilate, he makes very clear, my kingdom is not of this world. You rightly say I am a king. For this cause I was born. For this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. It's confusing. Much to the confusion of Pilate. Jesus asserts that his concern, why he came, the reason he's come is to transform souls, to orient souls to a cosmos that's bigger than power, houses, money, food, reputation, the stuff of earth. Pilate gets the message. He, this guy, Jesus, is not interested in all of the things Pilate is interested in. He came to reveal truth and life and love. He came to reveal it and to give it. He came to give us a new world. A new kingdom, a new world. Not because we had attracted him. Not because we were lovely and he was drawn to that. But because he knew us to be betrayers in need of help. The king sees the rebels and comes to them to reconcile them back. Now turning to a close here. Have you ever thought about Malchus? I think this guy is interesting. Malchus is the slave who had his ear cut off. He almost certainly became a follower of Jesus, became a Christian. That's why his name is recorded. Anytime the apostles record a name, it's because that person was known to the church community. It's a little signal. You want to get another angle or insight on this? Go talk to Malchus. It was his ear. Luke tells us that when his ear was cut off and Jesus told Peter to put his sword away, Jesus stopped. And he went to that slave and he touched his ear and he healed it. Makes sense that this man would come to believe in Jesus because he was there with the crowds. He knew the injustice of what they were doing. He's the servant of the high priest. He had been in the temple constantly. He had heard Jesus preach. Malchus went there knowing there is nothing right about what's happening, and yet he had justified himself. This is my place. He had silenced his conscience. He had listened to self-justification. And then this holy man that he had come to arrest 
stops in the midst of the chaos and did an impossible thing for him, his enemy. Jesus heals Malchus's ear and he gives him an ear to hear him. With new ears, literally, Malchus hears the truth. It gets past his self-justification. And what he hears is forgiveness. That's what this man is about. He brings the forgiveness of God. And that is the truth that Jesus offers all betrayers. I forgive you. All of these, I forgive you. This is the cause for which he was born and the truth he came to reveal, that God forgives. You don't have to endlessly justify yourself. You don't have to pretend that you're faultless. You are not. You are not. There's freedom. There's liberty in this. You are not faultless. You cannot be. You're way worse than you thought. There's freedom in that. I am way worse than I thought. My constant move is to defend myself and to appear in the right. And I keep doing things. I keep justifying myself to appear that I am in the right. But God forgives. So I don't have to do that. In receiving his forgiveness. In receiving his forgiveness often. Deeply. We can grow in God's love. That's for us. Stop justifying. Acknowledge the fault. Acknowledge the betrayal. And receive his love. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Now notice one more thing. One last thing. There's that ear that's on the ground. This, this hit me this time, looking through the... There's the ear. It's still there. The bloody ear on the floor. Malchus's ear. Jesus gave him a new one so that he could hear the truth. But that bloody ear laying on the ground wasn't good for hearing anymore. What if he tried to pick up that ear and stick it on there and use that? That was... That would have been silly. And yet, do we do this? When we willingly listen to the voice of self-justification, to this message that you're in the right. No, you're in the right. When we listen to people, people that we know, telling us that, affirming us in that, or we read things that will just affirm us that we are in the right. We're trying to hear with the ear of self-justification. We're trying to hear with an ear that's dead. That's part of the perishing self. That's part of the perishing world. We've picked it up from the ground where it was supposed to lie. Why would we do that? Using Malchus's dead old ear. When we've been given the means to listen to Jesus' own words, we've been given the means to hear life and truth, to hear our forgiveness, the truth that saves. When our worship here, 
This worship, it turns our hearts to God and it tunes our hearts to the truth and tunes our hearts to live for His praise and His honor. Why would we go back to listening to messages that are about our honor? Not about protecting the self. Telling us to heal ourselves and telling us that the problem is out there. The truth is the problem of the world runs right through the thoughts of each one of us. The problem of the world still flits through us. But when we worship God, when we offer Him ourselves, when we choose to forgive as He has forgiven us, He has forgiven us, so we are to forgive. He transforms us. That's when we live eternal life. That's when the power and the goodness of God comes to us. We cannot wash ourselves but when we forgive as he has forgiven us, he washes us. We become his disciples. When we turn away from the denial, you one of his disciples? No, I'm not. No, I am one of his disciples. We're one of his disciples when we follow in the way that he has walked, when we forgive as he's forgiven us. Don't wait. Don't wait. Be his disciples. That's who we are. That's who we really are. Let's walk in it. Let's do it. Let's follow him together. First, by receiving his forgiveness. You're a betrayer. Acknowledge it. He forgives. We receive his forgiveness and then we can offer that. Lord, oh our Lord, great is your faithfulness. Boundless. Your goodness stretches beyond our understanding. We have betrayed and we justify it. We are endlessly creative in our justification. Lord, would you grant us the grace to acknowledge it and to accept that we don't have to stand in, stand in self-approval to get the approval of others when we know that's against what, you, what pleases you. Lord, would you give us a desire to please you in the name of Jesus.